We read today from the book of 2 Peter, beginning in the first verse of the first chapter. Simon, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, be the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren... Be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come to express our love for you, to lift you up in our praises, to be a blessing to your heart. We come also to ask for the forgiveness of our sins because we freely confess how easy it is to do the wrong thing, to make the wrong choice, to think ourselves superior to others. So by the power of your spirit, come and bring to our mind, please, any ways that we have sinned against you. Help us to sincerely turn away and forgive us and draw close to us in this hour because we desperately need to feel your presence to know the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. May this time that we spend together truly be meaningful as we see your goodwill for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you struggled a little bit to follow in that passage that I just read from 2 Peter, you probably aren't alone. I know that I stood with you. And in fact, as I studied this passage this week, I almost turned away from it. I struggled with it mightily. There was something that I kind of wanted to hold on to, and I'm thankful I did. 
did. But I confess that this was a difficult passage. I went to the internet to look something up about this passage, and uh, something else caught my eye. Uh, it was a, a, a video about uh, David Platt. And David Platt's a, a, a young man who's kind of a hero in my own life, uh, been a blessing to me. And I was kind of shocked when I saw the title of this video. It said, David Platt says, don't invite Jesus into your heart. And that troubled me. That seemed a little bit of insanity to me because I've read his books. I've uh, led in his studies. I know he was a pastor of a thriving church. Uh, I know he was the director of the Southern Baptist Convention International Mission Board, for goodness sakes. This is the man that was the director, the spearhead for leading the charge to share the gospel around the world. I've heard him speak uh, in person, and all of those things has brought me to the conclusion that this is a, a fine young man with a deep and biblical faith. And so I concluded that this internet was just more internet re, uh, nonsense. And even so, I was a little curious to watch the video that uh, it was attached to. And so I'd like to share this video with you this morning and just to see what you think. It's only about two, two and a half minutes long, but uh, I appreciate your attention and then we'll We'll talk about it. Would you show the video, please? Making disciples is the natural, or maybe better yet, supernatural overflow of being a disciple. Proclaiming the love of Christ is the overflow of sharing in the life of Christ. And I'm convinced many people in our churches are just simply missing the life of Christ. And a lot of it has to do with what we've sold them as the gospel. I.e., pray this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, invite Christ into your life. Should it not concern us that there is no such superstitious prayer in the New Testament? Should it not concern us that the Bible never uses the phrases accept Jesus into your heart or invite Christ into your life? It's not the gospel we see being preached. It's modern evangelism built on sinking sand and it runs the risk of disillusioning millions of souls. It's a very dangerous thing to lead people to think that they are a Christian when they have not biblically responded to the gospel. If we're not careful, we will take the gospel, the lifeblood, out of Christianity and put Kool-Aid in its place so that it will taste better to the crowds. It's not just dangerous, it's just damning. And when we, and then when we think about making disciples, we think, well, it's just about going out and getting people to pray the prayer. We spread that. No, let's give them a full picture of the gospel. Let's show people the greatness of God. Yes, He is a Father who loves us. 
He's a loving father who will save us, but he is also a wrathful judge who may damn us. So what do you think? Do you agree with David? Do you disagree? Do you think that, uh, I, I just kind of find that offensive. That's not the way I understand the life of faith. Do you think he's too hard on the modern church? Does he offer kind of a different image of the disciples' path than you have? And what I found interesting is as I was struggling to kind of get my head around this passage in 2 Peter, this is the video that I came across, and then it kind of dawned on me, coincidentally, that David Platt and, and really Peter are trying to communicate, I think, very much the same position. Now, admittedly, our scripture is one of the more difficult that I've come across in a while. It's full of twists and turns and offers us a complicated path to follow. It, it may help if I can try to communicate to you the, the question that Peter is trying to answer. So as we look at the letters in the New Testament, what we see is that all of the letters are addressing a situation in a particular community of faith. They're trying to answer a question that maybe was sent to them or that, they, that Peter had heard about, but all the letters are trying to address a specific situation. And what this letter seems to be addressing is this idea of what we would call today dualism. And, and dualism is the belief that, you know, I have kind of different components of my life. And part of my life is certainly the physical part, but there's also a spiritual part. And what was going on in this community that Peter is writing to is kind of this understanding that, you know, I have this spiritual component, and that's great, and I have this physical component, but they really don't have anything to do with one another. In other words, thank you very much. We're so very thankful for Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice, because he has saved this spiritual component of my life. But that doesn't have anything to do with my physical reality. So thank you very much for saving me, my spiritual part. But excuse me now, because I've got some things that I want to do which really have nothing to do over here with my spiritual life. And as I think about that, I just think, man, isn't that a clever and convenient theology? I can be saved, and it really has nothing to do with my reality, with my life. I can go and do exactly what I want to do. And that's the issue that Peter is trying to address in this community. And I think in a very eloquent way, in a way that I can understand this eloquent way, what Peter is saying is not so fast. 2 Peter 1.1, to those who have received a faith that is the same kind as ours. And I think that's kind of a question that Peter is asking. Don't we have the same kind of faith? As I think Peter is saying, my faith began with a precious Knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord. And my faith will conclude when Jesus returns and gives what Peter calls the divine nature. Verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. 
You see, already we can see that Peter is trying to address this situation. It's not, I have a spiritual component and I have a physical component. It's just absolutely opposite of that. What he's saying is that we are all headed toward this divine nature, that we're going to receive a glorified body, a glorified spirit. We know that. Jesus said, you know, you will be like me you, because we will be able to worship him more fully. We're not going to struggle with sin when Jesus returns for us. We're not going to struggle the same way that in our relationships that we do today. We're going to receive that glorified body. This divine nature is what Peter calls it. But then he says immediately, but in the meantime, we have escaped and no longer practice such things as we did before. That's simply not who we are anymore. When we, listen, when we accept Jesus as Lord, it begins a complete and total transformation that affects every facet of our life. It doesn't begin and end by walking the aisle and saying some words that have no effect on the reality of our life. Rather, what Peter is saying, what the gospel is saying, is that when we say those words, when we walk the aisle, when we make that confession of faith, it comes from a deep belief that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he is Lord. You know, we don't talk about that word Lord enough. Lord means master, king of everything. These words are not just simply magic words, but they're the belief of our heart that begin a complete transformation of our lives. Every corner. The disciples' path begins with faith and it ends in the divine nature. And in between, Peter lists eight attributes of a disciple that if practiced will ensure us that we are on the right path. In other places in the scripture, we might ask the question. Sometimes, you know, we we fail. We make a terrible mistake. We look into the mirror. We ask ourselves, am I truly saved? Have I outsinned the grace of God? And what a blessing it is to know that, you know, when the Spirit speaks to us, it's like a seal that is on top of us that says, we know that we are saved. But what Peter adds to that, he says, now, listen, If you're practicing these eight things, if you're practicing them, you can look over your shoulder and you can know that you're on the right path, that you're a child of the king. These aren't options for Peter, not for us. He says we must apply all diligence in doing these things. And the disciples' path begins in faith. And we understand that faith is not just some Head knowledge. We, at Gardner-Webb, where I went to seminary, they said faith is a head knowledge, a heart knowledge, and a hand knowledge. It's the same idea that our faith changes everything. Peter says in verse 5, add to your faith moral excellence. The Greek word is arte, and it means goodness and excellence, virtue in all of your behavior, all of it. To your moral excellence, add knowledge. I thought, well, we didn't we begin with knowledge? No, this is an ever-deepening knowledge of God 
and knowing his will for you. Add to your knowledge self-control. Practice these things. Then you'll know you're on the right path. You look at your life this last week, this last month, this last year. Does this reflect you? If so, then you know that you are on the disciples' path. We use self-control in the way that we speak, our passions and our lusts. Add to self-control perseverance. Because maybe you're thinking, this is hard. Yes, the life of faith is a challenging one. It's a difficult one. Don't quit. Don't stop because it's hard. Don't stop using your spiritual gifts. Don't stop sharing the gospel. That's what David said. He said, sharing the gospel is the natural overflow. It's just the natural overflow. It's not a a works-based faith that we're working on. It's that I have experienced the love of Jesus Christ. I've experienced the freedom, the relief from the loneliness and the emptiness I don't want anyone else to ever feel like that. I understand because my knowledge of the scriptures is deeper now than when it began. The the horror of hell, I don't want anyone to experience that. So I'm going to press on. Don't stop. Add to your perseverance godliness. A single-minded devotion to God. And to your godliness, brotherly kindness, love your brothers and sisters. That's specifically about the people that are sitting next to you, your left and your right, those people that are also fellow believers, that we treat each other with great dignity, with respect, with gentleness. Brotherly love has been identified as the queen of virtues, which leads to the final step, and that is love, and not just any love. There was a time in the church when everyone knew at least one Greek word. What is it? Agape. Agape, that's right. And agape is a special kind of love. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. It's a self-sacrificing love. This is the, 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 the top of the mountain kind of love. Everything else is built on this kind of love. It is a self-sacrificing love. Putting the needs of others before ourselves. A love that imitates the actions of Jesus Christ himself. And Peter is writing to a group of people, and they say, yes, we have faith on one hand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. Thank you for eternal life. Now, on the other hand, please excuse us. We've got some things that we want to do. And Peter is saying, no, not so fast, because the faith that I have, the faith that I hope we all have, transforms everything, affects every decision. Our faith, practiced with much diligence, will lead us home. And the way that you can ensure that you're on the right path is look behind you and see if you were practicing these things. They were struggling with something called dualism. And the reason that I didn't turn away from this passage this week, because I think it is a difficult passage, is because I started to ask myself, I'll ask you the same question. Do you think the modern church has kind of that same attitude of dualism? That we can walk the aisle, we can make our profession of faith, and then, excuse me, I've got some things I want to do. And thank you for salvation and thank you for eternal life. Do you think that is kind of an attribute of the modern church? 
as opposed to a gospel that affects every decision, that affects everything in our life, that begins a total transformation. I think to answer the question, we can just go back and look at the attributes. Do we have a faith that is affecting every part of our life? Is moral excellence a concern? Is it a way that you live so that when you go to your workplace or the people that you hang out, they just think you're a little bit odd? Why is that person different? That person is peculiar. Do you know the scriptures say that you are a peculiar people? Because the way that we act, the gospel that we've accepted, the, this greatest truth that we embrace, it changes everything. Are we continuing to study the scriptures? Or have you come to the point where, well, I, I think I've got the big themes. I think I understand the story. Are we continuing to dig to understand what God's will is for our life? Do we practice self-control? in the way that we speak to one another? Or sometimes do we prefer rather just to proclaim our rights and my goodness, I've got my rights and I've got freedom of speech? Or are we persevering in the church to, to use our spiritual gifts? Or do you feel that maybe you've come far enough that you've done your bit, you've led enough vacation Bible schools you don't need to do anymore? Are we gentle and kind to one another? Is Jesus our one consuming passion, or is he one passion of many? Because I think if we take an honest look at the scriptures, what we're going to see is that he is to be our one consuming passion. David Platt seemed to think that we have become salesmen of a watered-down gospel. That some have had an emotional counter with the Holy Spirit, that they understand there is a God and a God who loves them and died for them. And if you just ask him to be your Savior and invite him into your heart, thank you, Jesus, for salvation. Now, excuse me, I have some things that I need to do. Because after all, I have my rights, I have my free will, I have my freedom of free speech. I'm going to say something today that some are going to find offensive. You gave up your rights the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. The Apostle Paul and others constantly refer to themselves as servants, as slaves, a bond slave, a voluntary servant. The idea of being a bond slave is this, that I have tried being the master of my own life. It did not work. It ended in disaster. And I have chosen because I know you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, in my small and frail and dented way. And I have realized that I would rather be your slave, your servant, than master of my own life. First Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you have been bought with a great price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Where? On one hand or the other? No, in everything. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the radical transformation gospel of every part of our life. 
We are servants, slaves of Christ. I came across an article by John MacArthur this week, and he gave five parallels between biblical Christianity and first century slavery. He says this, being a slave for Christ means exclusive ownership, complete submission, singular devotion, total dependence, and being personally accountable to the master. Becoming a servant of Christ, a disciple, changes everything. I'm struggling. Becoming a servant of Christ changes everything. This week I made a, a mistake. And it was a, it was a whopper. Maybe you won't think so, but I, I do. And uh, this was a hard week. It was a good week with Vacation Bible School. And, and, uh, but it was long and it was tiring. And, and I got to the point where I just wanted to laugh about something. And, you know, we like to go to movies. I like to go to movies. And so uh, I went to a movie. And we'd seen an, I'd seen an advertisement on TV. And, and it was uh, funny, cute. I like the people that are in it, and I didn't check what the rating was, and uh, we went. I went. I led. About first five minutes, I realized this isn't who I am. Golly, it bothered me. Then I didn't know what to do. It's in the dark. I thought, man, if I stand up now, I'm just going to draw attention to myself. You know, I, I put myself in a position where I, I'm hurting my testimony because I wouldn't want anyone in there to see me and think, well, this is okay. I guess this is what Christians do. And man, it is not what Christians do. And that was about the most, two most miserable hours. I didn't know what to do. I just kind of sat in the dark and was miserable. I didn't have that kind of Misery since two hours in the dental chair. That's kind of what it felt like. <laughs> Didn't check. Didn't think about it. You say, well, that's not a big deal. You went to a movie. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It is a big deal. And I guess what I'm struggling with is I can't stand up here today and say the gospel of Jesus Christ should affect everything. I won't be a hypocrite. All I knew how to do was to ask forgiveness of God, forgiveness of Sandy. I'll learn from it and I'll try to move on. But it's not who I am in Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ affects everything in our life. The gospel of Jesus Christ begins a transformational process that changes us entirely to the point where Jesus Christ should be able to poke out through us. Have we, in the modern culture, offered a gospel that is 
watered down and dualistic that truly changes nothing in our lives? Is it a Kool-Aid gospel that makes us little different than anyone else? Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, as Master, as King over everything, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lord meaning Master of everything. He is the Master, I am the servant. May your will, Jesus, be my will. May we have a faith that affects everything. 2 Peter 1.8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind. You really haven't seen the gospel. You haven't really heard its powerful effect. Or you're short-sighted. In other words, I'm just going to live for this moment and what feels good and what seems right. No, I'm looking toward Heaven. I'm looking toward the divine nature, and the behavior that I have now is going to affect the path that's going to get me there. For he lacks these qualities as blind or short sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. When we walk in the baptismal, I explain to everyone that I've ever baptized here we walk down one set of stairs, we don't go back up them. We walk out a different way. Because why? Because there's no turning back. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make sure, make certain about his calling and his choosing. How do you know? Are you practicing things? For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. This is the path that leads home. This is the path that leads to the divine nature. This is the path that leads to Christ-likeness. This is the path that leads to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we come humbly before you. And we come humbly before your table. We thank you for the incredible gift. We thank you for the night before your passion, before the cross, that you commanded us to come to remember this moment, to to do this again and again, because we confess we fall short. And we have heard the true gospel, and we know that it should change everything in our lives. So you have put this table in our path so we once again may search ourselves. And if there be anything unpleasing by the standard of the gospel, forgive us and cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen.